Practicing for the big day tomorrow, and um, I need an archbishop. Will you do me the honor? Inviolably. It means to make a promise you can you can never break. A very sacred promise indeed. When the holy oil touches me, I am I am transformed. Brought into direct contact with the divine. Or forever changed. Bound to God. It is the most important part of the entire ceremony. So we had better practice, hadn't we, Archbishop? Be thy hands anointed with holy oil. Be thy breast anointed with holy oil. Be thy head anointed with holy oil. As kings, priests, and prophets were anointed. Good morning, Hope, and happy Rally Sunday. Uh, it's been a great, absolutely amazing weekend here at Hope at all of our locations. You saw the video from Liberia where we have some staff out there uh, today, and they're worshiping via video uh, with our Liberian friends, uh, and the bond that we're making with them is amazing, and that's just tip of the iceberg. There are uh, people all over who are one church in thousands of locations now at Hope, so thank you for being here, wherever here is for you right now. And to those of you who are right here in this room where I'm standing, I'm really glad to see you too. Welcome to Cyclone Celebration Sunday, um, in addition to Rally Sunday. Easy, easy. Clap with love, all right, because you're sitting amidst Hawkeyes too. Uh, and so this is Hawkeye Healing Sunday as well. We've got you covered. Uh, whatever you need, we're, uh, God is here for you. Uh, that's the main thing. And there's a ministry fair out in the lobby. Hopefully you saw that on the way in. And at different campuses, you can find out more about what's happening at your location as well. Um, this is a great time of year. It's good to be the church. That video is from The Crown. It's actually the opening scene in this uh, now four-season series. I think it's going to six that traces the life of Queen Elizabeth, who just died a few days ago. In that scene, that's Elizabeth as a little girl, and she's being blessed by her father. Let me ask you a question. Who introduced you to God? Think about that for a moment. 
Who introduced you to God? Who, who's the one who told you about God who, for the first time? This father, I mean, take the crowns away, take the thrones away, take the responsibilities away, take the figurehead nature of royalty in, in this case away, take all of that away and what you have here in this scene, and that's why I think it's so beautiful and why I shared it, is a father loving his daughter enough to pass on something of substance, something of depth. When the holy oil, King George, who's about to be coronated, I think it was going to be the next day or maybe later that day, but before he did, even though he had attendants who were knocking on the doors right after this saying, hey, you're late, you got to come. George said, no, no, this is more important. This is more important, what I'm doing for my daughter right here, passing on the faith, teaching her to experience God's love in this way, teaching her to understand so that when she comes to my coronation tomorrow as a little girl, she'll see all this stuff happening and it'll mean something to her. It'll have more depth, she'll be able to connect to it. So he says to her, tomorrow when you see me getting coordinated as king, when the holy oil touches me, I'm transformed, brought into direct contact with the divine, forever changed. That's not British royal arrogance. That's biblical truth. The traditions of the coronation of a king or queen in the United Kingdom come from scripture. It's the most important part of the ceremony, father says to son. Who told you God is the most important thing in your life? Who pointed you to the primacy of God's amazing grace poured out for you through Jesus Christ? Because the holy oil isn't just for Queen Elizabeth and her father, uh, uh, King George, and, and for Charles in a few days or weeks or whenever they do his coronation now. It's available for you, the Bible says. And I don't want you to go home without having an opportunity to experience it. It's this holy oil. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what they're talking about. He, he says it. It's in, it's in the document. It's in the liturgy that they're going to go through during the coronation. The holy oil is for priests and prophets and kings, queens, royalty. It has some other meanings too that I'll walk you through real quick. Exodus 29, 7. Aaron, the priest, is consecrated, ordained. And the way he's ordained, the mark of that is they put the olive oil, the anointing oil. There's lots of olives around the Holy Land. They take the olive oil, they put it on his hand, his breast, and his forehead. And then it drips down through his beard. Later in Psalm 133, verse 2, the psalmist picks up on this and says, how beautiful and good it is when God's people live together in harmony. It's like God's anointing oil pouring down from Aaron's forehead down to his beard. It just takes over. So priests are anointed with holy oil. Prophets, according to 1 Kings 19, God calls Elijah the prophet to bless and pass on this gift of prophecy because God's now choosing Elisha. And so Elijah anoints Elisha with holy oil. In 1 Samuel 9.16, David, the king, is anointed by a prophet and chosen by God, the anointed one, Jesus Christ himself who's the son of David, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, is anointed uh, by God to be the savior of the world. Messiah is the name given for Jesus in the Old Testament. It's in he Messiah's Hebrew and it means the anointed one of God. Literally, it's the anointed one. It's Christ in the Greek of the New Testament. The anointed one of God is Jesus. And in Mark 6, verse 13, Jesus sends his disciples out and he says, you now take this anointing oil, this olive oil, and when you pray 
prayers of healing because I'm giving you the spirit of healing. That power, I want you to go out and heal the sick and anoint them with oil is a mark of that. We do that here when we do healing prayer services or when we do one-on-one prayers. If people want it, we say, well, let's, put the, let's anoint you with this healing oil because the Bible says so. If you say, because you've been Lutheran your whole life, gee whiz, that doesn't sound very Lutheran to me. If it's in the Bible, it's Lutheran. Everybody, let's say that together. If it's in the Bible, it's Lutheran. I'm sorry you missed it. I'm sorry maybe you grew up in a church that didn't read this part of the Bible to you or, or teach it. Because it's a great blessing. Look, it's not the oil. The oil isn't magic any more than the waters of baptism are magic. It's the promise connected to the water. It's the promise connected to the bread and the wine of Holy Communion. It's not the bread and the wine that do this. It's God's word. It's his promise connected to it, to the bread, to the wine, to the water, to the oil. And so we receive it, this blessing, because God's word points us to it. Who introduced you to God? Have you ever been touched by God? I don't just mean in a spiritual way. I mean in a physical way. Have you felt the physical touch of God? Because that's what anointing oil can do for you. And I want to give you that opportunity today. No pressure. You don't have to do it. But it's here for you if you want it. So what are we going to pass on to kids? This is what George, King George wanted to pass on to the future Queen Elizabeth. Father to daughter. All right, parents. All right, church. What do we want to pass on to the next generation? What do we want to pass on as we kick off a new year of Sunday school called Hope Kids at Hope? A new year of Power Life Confirmation Ministry for over 1,000 6th, 7th, and 8th graders in our communities. Uh, our ignition for high school students. What, what is it that we want to do? What is it we want to pass on? Our Bible reading for today says God's word, God's commands, the law of God, repeat them. These directives, these blessings, the psalm says, that will bless our children, that will show them what they were made for, that will show them. It's a user manual to say, this is what I created you to be. Repeat these things, God's word, again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Open up Bibles at home, parents. Pray at home with your kids. Make it a habit. Do it before meals. Do it before bedtime. Do it at other times too. You say, our kids are too young to understand it. We've got children's Bibles for you. We've got little like cartoon Bibles for you so that they will become immersed in these life-changing stories of God's love being poured out for them. Teach the faith of all the things that we can pass on to new generations, of all the things as a parent that Sally and I could have passed on to our kids. And now we look at our granddaughter and we think of, uh, about the, the new grandchild who's on the way, come, coming soon in January. And we're all excited about all those things. But every once in a while I say, what is it that I really want our granddaughter to have? What is it I really, above everything else, what is it I wanted our three kids to have? I want them to have faith. I mean, that's not a real big surprise, is it? This is church. I'm a preacher, I'm preaching a sermon from the Bible. Turn to the person next to you and say, the answer is almost always Jesus. It's almost always going to be Jesus. And it is. But it is. Here's, here's the thing. I don't want to just say that. I want to tell you why. I want to tell you why it's Jesus. 
Why should we repeat these things when we're at home and on the road, when we're going to bed and when we're getting up? Why should we pass on the faith to kids? Why should we go all out for our Sunday school here called Hope Kids or vacation Bible school or confirmation or high school ministry? Why should we even bother? Because it's a lot of work. And it's easier, parents, not to. It's easier to talk about the game yesterday with your kids. Or or did you do your piano uh, practice? Or, 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 Or did you get your homework done? I am not saying, do not misunderstand my heart, that these are bad things. These are really good things. Tell your kids to do their homework. Tell tell them how important it is and why it matters. Teach them how to throw a ball. Teach them how to kick so they can score goals in their soccer game. Teach them right from wrong. Teach them which way to go and which way not to go. Teach them which team to cheer for. Whatever, you know, is important to you. Pass it on. Discover their passions and encourage those. Their dreams that are from God and fan those flames. But above all, give kids a gift that's going to last. You can't control it. I know some of you are hearing this. It's like, oh, the guilt, even shame in some cases. I feel so bad. I don't know if I did a good job as a parent. My kids are young adults now, and, and, and they don't all have this faith, or they don't have any faith at all. They've wandered away from faith. Oh, I, I failed. No. You don't get to control that part. You just plant the seeds. Hopefully somebody else, a church, will water them. And the Holy Spirit, God's the one who makes them grow, the Bible says. You see, but I didn't plant enough seeds. I spent more time teaching my kid how to throw a football and and win the tournament and get the trophies. And that's the stuff we talked about around the dinner table all the time. We never talked about Jesus. We never really talked about, you know, it's awkward. We just didn't bring it up. It just didn't come up. I didn't plant enough seeds. Do it now. I don't care if your kids are 58. Plant some seeds. Be wise about it. I didn't say use a sledgehammer and say, do you know you're going to burn for eternity and just smash them over the head? You know, what's wrong with you? Why don't you go to church? It makes me so sad. It's not helpful. Plant the seeds. Invite. And you know what the most powerful thing you can do? Let them see the change in you. Let them see the Jesus in you. Don't just say it, live it. We are followers of the way, the Bible says. In the book of Acts, it tells us that even more than it called the earliest Christians Christians or the church, it called them followers of the way of Jesus Christ. It's a movement. It's a movement of faith and hope and love. Live it out. Discover this untouchable joy that only God can give us. Discover an experience and live out a peace that passes all human understanding. Your kids will notice Whether they're three or 63, they will notice what you're doing and how you're living and which way you're going. And children tend to learn what they live and what they see. Of course you can influence them more when they're little. Of course you can. But you can't make them believe. You can't control that part of it. Just be a faithful farmer in the field. Plant the seeds. Emphasize it. Make it a, well, do what the Bible says. Talk about these things when you're at home. Don't just say, well, I took you to Sunday school four times a year because we were busy. You know, I should do it, right? There's no way four hours of Sunday school can compete with all the other noise. 
the kids are hearing. We're here to supplement what you're doing at home. We're here to come alongside and echo the stuff that they're learning from you at home, to amplify it, to, to, to maybe clarify it if your theology's off, to, to, to do things in a way that's, that's going to be helpful, that's going to bless them. Talk about these things. Repeat them again and again to your kids. Teach them the ways of God and it will go well for them, the proverbial wisdom, 22.6 says in the Old Testament. We're not doing great at this as the Christian church in America, or so it seems. We're in the midst of this series called American Spirituality Concerning Trends and Reasons for Hope, and it's both. You've probably heard the news stories on TV or uh, on social media, or, or you've read the articles, the more in-depth ones, all the studies that say, oh, there's all these unchurched people now, all these nuns, and especially younger generations, and people who have no religious affiliation, and it's growing as high as 25 or 28% now, depending on the study you look at, and oh my goodness, the sky's falling, and, and everything's crashing, and there's some truth to it. Here's some pretty distressing trends. The blue line is Sunday school attendance in the Lutheran Church in America over a 20-year period. The red line is VBS attendance, and it's in decline. If it makes you feel any better, let's talk about evangelicals. Well, we're kind of evangelical too. We're sort of a little bit of both. But declining median worship attendance amongst evangelical congregations, same trajectory. It used to be evangelicals would sort of do the, we got spirit, yes we do, we got spirit, and Presbyterians you don't, or whatever it is, or Methodists, or Lutherans, or Episcopalians. We're, we're, we're the bomb, and... And you boring mainliners, you've lost your way with all your liturgies and your traditions. And, and so we're booming and you're just dying and that's the way God wants it. Can't say that anymore. They're on the same free fall numerical decline in this country. You say, well, what about the Roman Catholics? They're growing, right? Nope, same decline. But they mandate going to worship. I know, still, same decline. Turns out that doesn't work. So we have no reason for hope then if Roman Catholics, evangelicals, you know, non-denominationals, if they're declining, if main lines like Lutherans and Methodists and Presbyterians, if they're all going down, then all the studies are right that we read about, right? The pop culture news. If you read it on the internet, you know it's true. Some researchers from Baylor University, University of Chicago, two or three other reputable research institutions said this doesn't feel right. Smart researchers said, you know, these, these, these numbers seem a little inflated. Wall Street Journal uh, a month or so ago featured this article. The headline was, Religion is Dying. Don't believe it in this country. Turns out many of the nuns aren't secular. They belong to minority faiths. And the way they define that is churches and gatherings and communities that center in Christ that don't line up with traditional denominations. Or churches like Hope, defined not always lovingly as mega churches. So what the researchers found, short story, there's more to this, but I don't have time. The rise of mega and new churches is actually more, they say, more than making up for the decline in the numbers and the graphs that I showed you previously on the, on the other screens. And the stories that almost always get the headlines. Turns out we have lots of reasons for hope. The Christianity is doing quite well in this country. 55.4%. So see these researchers, they went out and instead of just waiting and depending on denominations to report attendance and membership, 
they said something's wrong there because there's a lot of churches, a lot of new churches, small churches, big churches, and then a lot of mega churches like Hope that don't report numbers anymore. We stopped reporting numbers not because we're like we don't think we should or, or we'd love to if we could count you. At a certain point, it's impossible. And it's getting more complicated through COVID. This whole online worship thing became a thing. Three to four times more people worship with hope uh, online than do in person. And that's weird and it's different. But what it does is it gives us room to grow again, personally here. So invite your friends. But hope has never grown faster than over the last two or three years. The trajectory was always steady, pretty significant growth. And then the last two or three years, it's like, we think... And that's conservative estimates. If we counted the way some churches do, it'd be like, straight up. But we try to be conservative on the numbers of, of screens that are tuned in, and we don't overinflate that. Some churches are like, well, for every screen, there's nine people worshiping. <laughs> How do you come up with that? We said, for every screen, there's at least one. We're going to go with that. <laughs> and we run with it. But we don't know. So when our denomination wants us to make an annual report, we're like, oh, sorry, we don't even know what to tell you. Plus, it's not just the online complication, it's all the different ministries. Do we count all the kids who come to VBS? Do we count the people who come to our support groups? Do we count the people who come to our, our, uh, our recovery ministries? Do, do we count the people who, who move through our buildings and are blessed in some other way? Do, wh where do we draw the line? Do, do we count our local sites? How do we do that? How, how, do we, how do we keep track? We can't, and that's kind of the, the thing. I talk to other senior pastors of megachurches, not the ones who make the headlines for all their scandals, the ones who are just like, you know, trying to be faithful. There's a big, wonderful, faithful group of them. And they all say the same thing. Yeah, we gave up. We don't report. So when you get your denominational numbers, in fact, if you go back to the VBS slide, you don't have to, but the total number of Lutheran kids in America who went to VBS, do you know that one out of every 25 of them went to VBS here at Lutheran Church of Hope? That's it. Do not clap for that. I'm not happy about that. Oh, it's heartbreaking to me. We should be 0.1%. Even with the thousands of kids who come here for VBS, it should be the tiniest fraction because well, we want heaven to be crowded, not hope. We just want to be a part of what God is doing. We want to take the long view. I mean the really long view on this. And we try not to lose sight of that. It turns out when churches don't, they grow. When it isn't about us, and it isn't about our personalities, and it isn't about our charisma or our good looks, which <laughs> clearly is a burden for me that I have to walk around with this beautiful kind of face. I mean, this is difficult, right? My wife is like, yes, that's got to be hard for you. Everyone else is like, that's really weird that you said that. I didn't say it at any other service. I don't know why God gave me that at 11. Maybe, maybe somebody here needed to hear it. I don't know. For whatever reason, only the Lord knows. Or maybe it was the blueberries I had this morning. According to these deeper researchers, they surveyed hundreds of thousands of Americans across the whole country. They put all their research together, they collaborated, they put it all together and they said, huh, turns out religious service attendance is pretty steady over the last generation in America. It just doesn't show up in places like it used to. It turns out more Americans are praying weekly than did a generation ago. And it turns out there are actually fewer atheists in the United States today than there was 80 years ago.
trends are actually pretty hopeful if you do the more robust research, if you get underneath it all. Rumors of the demise of Christianity in the United States have been greatly exaggerated. But I'm still not happy with it. Because our denomination is zip, going down. Roman Catholic, zip, going down. Evangelicals, non-denominational, zip, going down. Why is that? I think part of it's the scandals. We preached about this a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Ben and I. I'm not going to repeat that. I think part of it, though, is we've lost our way. I'd summarize it like this, because I preached about this before, too, and I won't get into the details. I'll just say this. When Christianity becomes more about me trying to get Jesus to sound like me, than it does about allowing Jesus, submitting myself to the Lord, and letting Jesus get me to sound more like him. That's not a Christianity that God's going to bless. That's not a movement of the Holy Spirit that God's going to grow. He's going to say, if you insist on having a form of Christianity, and in mainline churches it tends to be one direction politically, in evangelical churches it tends to be another direction politically, what they share completely in common is they've sold their souls. It's all about, here's what we believe, Jesus, come bless it, instead of, Jesus, where are you going? We want to follow you as followers of your way. Where do you want to lead us? If your Christianity is about you trying to talk Jesus into agreeing with you, instead of about Jesus growing you so that you sound and act more like him, you've lost your way. Jesus loves you and he loves me and he says, so come on back, repent church, change the way you think. In churches that are trying to do that imperfectly, like we are certainly an imperfect church, we're trying to do that, God is blessing us with growth. And it's more than making up for the decline in churches that have kind of wandered away or have gotten lost in scandals or personality cults or whatever it might be. When it's about Jesus, turns out all generations still need that. And they run for it. Look at our college ministries. Look, look at our young adult ministries. Look at our youth ministries, our kids' ministries around here. Booming. Absolutely exploding. I had kids come up to me to say, Ah, oh, thank you for having Hope Kids. It was awesome today. Ah, so fun. I'd like to know what they're doing down there that it was that fun. <laughs> the rise of the mega and the new churches more than makes up for it, according to these researchers. The truth sets us free. It turns out the truth matters. It turns out we don't get to make up our own religions. It turns out we don't get to make it about ourselves, or God removes his hand of blessing. It turns out the growth here isn't about me, or any of the pastors, or the worship band, or our programs, or you, or any of the other things. It's about Jesus. On the way, Jesus says, the truth and the life. Everyone say truth. No one can come to the Father except through me. You don't get to invent, you could, you could try to invent a religion and say, I'm going to determine who gets to the Father in heaven because I say so. Now come on, Jesus, come over here and sound like me. Jesus says, no, what you need to do is learn how to sound more like me. That what you say is my timeless truth. The truth, Jesus says six chapters earlier in John's gospel, is what sets you free. Next screen. You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you, everybody. If you want the freedom, you gotta, you got to submit. you got to surrender. It's got to be God's truth, a higher truth than whatever we can come up with.
Not the kind of religion we're comfortable with. Where we try to invite Jesus to come along. The truth sets us free. And so Paul concludes in 1 Corinthians 13, here's the goal for us, here's the goal for new generations, young generations, here's what we should pass on to our kids. Faith, hope, and love. Because these are the three things that will last forever. And that makes them more valuable than teaching our kids how to throw a football or play the piano. As important as those things are, it doesn't have to be one or the other. But just make sure Jesus comes first. And make sure your kids sense it. That they feel it. That they're the kind of kids who would say, my mom, my dad, they talk about God all the time. We pray all the time. We, we do devotions. We have family. We, 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 they, they told me Bible stories when I was a kid. So, so it got ingrained in me. It, it became a part of my consciousness, what I was aware of. And the reason we do that, the why for the what, is because we want to give our kids something that's going to last. The most valuable thing... I, I know that you love your kids. Then give them the best gifts. Faith and hope and love. Don't let anything become more important than faith and hope and love. Set your schedules this way. Don't let anything crowd out time together with one another and sharing God's love. But the Bible also says this. It says, don't just talk it, walk it. Live it out. So last week, my wife and I went to our first ever Hawkeye football game. It was a blast. And I was really looking forward to the wave. We kind of lean cyclones, but we always cheer for the Hawkeyes. We cheer for both. We've lived here 32 years. And so I, we consider ourselves Iowans. We get the whole college football thing. It's kind of big here, in case you didn't know. Probably because we don't have pro teams, you know, major league pro teams here. Whatever the case might be, it's like, do you want to know why sometimes Iowa State and Iowa get invited to bowl games? Because you'll go. That's why they do it. Because you'll go and you'll bring your tourist money. That's, that's why they go. Because we're just nuts for college football in this state. I think that's cool. I think it's absolutely awesome. And we got, to, we got to breathe that in last Saturday. Iowa against South Dakota State. And it was a crazy weird game. Who knew punting and safeties could be so much fun? But they were. So Iowa fans, I'm just trying to, you know, a fond memory. Like when, when you won, you know, the week before. So... We're there at the game, and what I was really looking forward to was this. It was the wave, which started, what, four or five years ago when the new children's hospital was constructed, where my daughter works as an occupational therapist, and her husband works as a doctor, a pediatrician. If you were at the game yesterday waving, my daughter was waving back at you, standing next to some of her patients. And she said, well, that's the first time. She said, I got it from that side from that side of the window. It's overwhelming, she said. Well, it was a little overwhelming for me just standing in the nosebleed seats waving at the kids last Saturday. I knew it would be good, but what surprised me is I got this watery substance coming out of my eyes, this big lump in my throat, because you can see the kids. At least you could from where we were sitting. You can see their faces. You can see their casts. You can see their IVs that they're connected to. You can see their parents holding some of them because they can't stand or sit on their own. Two of them, in fact, I got a text from one of the moms just between services. Two of them were in the hospital from Hope, from our Hope family. And they need your prayers. Pray for Macklin and Dawson. You don't even have to know who they are, but they're your family. 
There are kids in your church family, and they're up against it physically. They need miracles. They absolutely need miracles. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other with our words. Let us show the truth. There's that word again. By our actions. It's a wave. I mean, it's an action. That's just the start. Are you following the way? Or do you just show up for church on Sunday? Are you an ambassador of Jesus Christ at school, at work, in your social circles, in your neighborhood, when you're all alone, when you're with your family? This is who God calls you and me to be. Let's not just talk a good talk. Let's walk a good walk. Let's be people of faith and hope and love. And the greatest of these is when we get that, we will have a truth. And that truth will allow us, the truth that's grounded in God's word, to, be, to, 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 to not be swayed by, by new doctrines. Next screen. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced with lies so clever. Hey, here's our church. These are the things we're into. They're just conveniently all the things that we prefer. Jesus, come bless it. This is our theology. This is what we want to think about salvation. This is what we want to think about the gospel. This is what we want to think about the Bible. This is what we want to think about Jesus. This is what we want to think about the Holy Spirit. Come on, come on, everybody come. But if there's no truth to it, it can sound religious. Bible verses can be quoted, misquoted. But if you know the truth, and if you don't know the truth, it's time. We got dozens of classes for you. New member class this afternoon I'll be teaching in is a good place to start if you've done that. Alpha class next week. We've got Spanish after Alpha start, starting next week if Spanish is your first language. Or you just want to take after Alpha in Spanish. And we have, conservatively, a couple of dozen other Bible studies. Men, women, individuals. Learn the truth. The truth will set you free and it will keep you from being influenced with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will grow and we will learn to speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of his body, the church, will follow his way, his truth, his life, and nothing less will do. Because we live in a dark world. I mean, it's rough out there. It's messy. And it feels like it's getting messier and darker all the time. Today's 9-11. It's September 11th. Take a good look at that image. What do you feel? You don't need me to tell you what that is. We all know. The spots where the Twin Towers came down when terrorists flew passenger airplanes into them and, the, and one into the Pentagon killing more and another one that would have probably flown into some other government building if, it, if the heroes on that plane hadn't taken over the hijackers and it crashed in a Pennsylvania field. You remember, right? It's good to remember. But above all else, what do you want your kids to know about this story? What do you want them to know about the darkness in this world? What do you want them to know before they have to face their first grieving experience? Before a loved one, somebody close to them, somebody who matters to them dies? What truth do you want them to know? Tell them this. Tell them that God promises that death is swallowed up in victory when you have even the tiniest mustard seed of faith in Jesus Christ. Because God loves the world so much he sent his son to die for you, child. 
that if you just believe in him, you will not die, but you will have everlasting life. And so 1 Corinthians 15 sings out and says it as succinctly and bluntly and directly as anybody could. Death is swallowed up in victory. This is not the last word on what happened. Because we belong to a God of life. Death is swallowed up in victory. What do you want to pass on to your kids? The 23rd Psalm, the back half of it, the last three verses say the familiar words. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. You, even if you're not a church person, even if you're new to Christianity, you've probably heard this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Lots of people memorize this in Sunday school. The bottom line sounds so familiar, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Followers of the way know death doesn't get the last word. But I highlighted one more phrase. Did you remember this part? You anoint my head with oil. You fill me up with your love so then it overflows out of me as I follow your way. As I don't just talk Christianity, but I walk it. You anoint my head with oil. God, I thought that was just for kings and queens. And you know, prophets and priests who wear collars backwards in the Roman Catholic Church and the Episcopalian Church. People who are called to these, to these very specific kinds of ministries. Anointing isn't for everybody, is it? It's for people like Queen Elizabeth who would give her Christmas address to all of her kingdom on an annual basis. And a couple of Christmases ago, she said this, direct quote, for me, the life of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, whose birth we celebrate today is an inspiration and an anchor in my life. It's not the crown. It's not the throne. It's not the prestige. It's not the palace I live in. It's Jesus Christ. Because she had a father who passed it on to her. Who introduced you to God? After her father died young, which is why Elizabeth was queen for 70 years so long, she ascended to the throne in her mid-20s. She got coronated like her father did. And don't you think when she was getting coronated, she, rem she had to. That she remembered what her father taught her so that she could understand not just what's going on, a bunch of empty rituals, a bunch of British traditions. No, grounded in the timeless truth of God's holy word. I mean, that changes everything. Is your majesty willing to take the oath? I am willing. Will you maintain and preserve this? Inviolably. I will.
your hands anointed with holy oil. With thy breast, anointed with holy oil. anointed with holy oil. As kings, priests, and prophets were anointed, and as Solomon was anointed king, by Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet, so be thou anointed, blessed, and consecrated queen over the peoples whom the Lord thy God hath given thee to rule and govern in the name of the Father and of the Son the Holy Ghost. It's so important what we pass on to our kids. How important do you think Elizabeth's crown is to her right now? Or her throne? Or the palace she lived in for 70 years plus? How important are all of her, all of her earthly wealth? Her riches? Do you know what's important to her right now? guarantee it. Faith, hope, love, the things that last forever. What do you want your kids to live for? What do you want to be most important to them? Faith, hope, love. In a few days or weeks or whenever they do it, Charles will be anointed. I hope his heart's open to it, like his mother's was and like his grandfather's was. It'll mean a lot more, not just for the coronation experience, but for his whole life, as it would for you. So well, that's great for a queen or a king or a prophet or a priest, but it's not for me. Where in the Bible does it say it's for me? And what's all this talk that the archbishop was saying? Nathan the prophet, it's from the Bible, took Solomon down to the Gihon Spring, King Solomon, the son of David. When David died, Solomon became king, and there Zadok the priest took the flask of olive oil and anointed Solomon with the holy oil. Say again, great for King Solomon, great for King David, great for King George, great for Queen Elizabeth, great for King Charles now, great for them, great for prophets, great for priests. It's nice, it's not for me. Oh, but it is. You are royal priests, God's timeless truth says. Turn to the person next to you and say, did you know you're a royal priest? That's how the only one whose vote counts sees it. You're a royal priest. You're not too good for this. I'm not too big for this. We need it. We need God's touch. When's the last time have you ever been touched by the love of God, by a blessing of God? You are royal priests, the Bible promises, a holy nation, God's very own possession. 
As a result, you can show others the goodness of God by as you follow the way as people of faith and hope and love. He called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And then in 1 John, it says this, you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know this truth. When you know this truth, it's for you. So before you go home, I wanna give you an opportunity to be anointed. That's why we have the extra prayer leaders up here. It's been so cool all weekend. Just so cool. People walking out in all sorts of joy, happy, grumpy, people smiling. I've never seen them smile in 28 years as their pastor. People crying who are predisposed to that sort of emotion. People who are stoic are like, I'm not showing any of my cards. But yeah, that was good. It's not us, it's not hope, it's not our oil. Well, it's our oil. God's using it. Let him touch you. What a great way to start a rally weekend as a church so that we remember we're not just talking, we're walking. We go out to the ministry fair and we stop by, we learn about it. And just because you stop by a ministry fair table doesn't mean you're committing to a 12-year volunteer kind of sign on the dotted line with blood commitment. It's only 11 years we're asking for you can say no. You don't just ask questions. You don't have to do any of it. But I hope you'll find a way to be the church. A way to be a part of the mission instead of just coming and sitting. That you'll activate your faith, that you'll rally, that you'll go, that you'll be people of faith and hope and love, that you'll be followers of the way. That you won't allow this church to become an institution. That you'll always insist that it be a movement, a mission church on a mission from God to bring his light into the darkness. This is who you are. And when you know this truth, it'll set you free and God can use it to bless the world. So here's how we're gonna close. And we're right on time. We're gonna have the band come out and sing a song. If you're an introvert, start singing and watch everybody else go. If you're an extrovert, you're gonna, you're like, just say amen so we can get the oil, let's go. I've got four more things. No, I'm just kidding. I'm done. Come on up. I'll go first. Because I need this and I want this. God's touch. God's outpouring of love and amazing grace. God's call for kings and queens and priests and prophets and you. So says God. Come and get it and then go out and be the church. Amen?